humorous. It's always good to laugh a little bit before we get into the Word of the Lord. Um, I got this today. These are quotes from actual federal employee performance evaluations. How many here work for the federal government or the state government? Raise your hand. Okay, this could be you that they talked about. <laughs> this young, one of the comments was, this young lady has delusions of adequacy. Um, this employee is de- depriving a village somewhere of an idiot. <laughs> Got a full six-pack but lacks the plastic thing to hold it all together. <laughs> he's, a gross, he's a gross ignoramus which is 144 times worse than an ordinary ignoramus. When his IQ reaches 50, he should sell. If you stand close enough to him, you could hear the ocean. And if you give him a penny for his thoughts, you'd get change. So if any of you work for the federal government, this is what goes on at your employee evaluations. But anyways, I always think it's good to laugh. Tonight, um, in all seriousness, though, and to get serious, um, I'd like to talk to you a little bit tonight about what's called spiritual resolve. And how many people know what the word resolve means? Not the uh, um, spray that you use, resolve, but uh, what it means to have resolve. And if you could stand with me, let's read from the word of the Lord. We can all turn to the the book of James, chapter 1. Starting with verse 2. And let's read. I'll give you a little bit of time to get there. If you don't have your Bibles, just look up here. We paid a lot of money for it, so get some use out of it. If you don't have your Bible. (laughs) Someone asked me why I didn't have my Bible. I said, well, we got this new thing up here. and Not not just kidding. That's not what happened. But anyways, James chapter 1, verses 2-3. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. And if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that give it to all men liberally, and upbraideth it not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord, for a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And turn with me to chapter 4. We'll read two more verses. Verses 7 and verse 8. Submit yourselves therefore unto God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Drawing nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Praise the Lord. Let's lift our hands to the Lord, and let's just ask him to bless here tonight. Hallelujah, Jesus. Jesus, you are wonderful to us, Lord. And everything we have need of, Lord God, you have, God. And we ask you tonight, Lord, because we're in need, Lord Jesus, of your spirit, Lord, in your presence, God, in our lives. We ask you to bless here, Lord. Make yourself known, Lord, to those that don't know you, God. And to those of us, Lord God, that you are our Savior, Jesus. Bless us here tonight, Lord. In your mighty name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Hallelujah, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Well, tonight, the main thing going on here tonight, if you're a visitor, is not so much me as a speaker, but the fact that the living God of the, that created the heavens and the universes that you live and the earth where you walk and the, the air that you breathe can come into your life tonight and make all things new. 
And sometimes that sounds like a fairy tale. It may be too good to be true, but it's not. It's really not the case that there really is a God, and that God really does care. And as simple as I can make it, that he can put his blood right upon your life and upon the sins that you've committed. And in just a moment, in the twinkling of an eye almost, he can take away years of sin and years of pain and change your whole life. And everybody here, lift up your hand if you're a living example of that type of experience. Amen. And that's what happens. And so, as much as I'm the speaker tonight, and only by uh, the grace of God, um, so much more you can have God and know Him tonight. And that's what it's really all about. But if you can give me 30 minutes at least, 45 minutes at the longest, can we agree on that time frame? Okay. Richie, or Ricky, keep watch back there. Praise God, Ricky's a good man. But um, So let me ask you a question. Have you ever resolved something? Have you ever resolved something? You know, And I'll just give you some examples so you can know what this word resolve means. Like you, could, you could say that your will was resolved, or that your grandfather's will was resolved. To mean it was put to rest. You, when you pay off your mortgage, if you live 30 years to pay it off, some people live that long. Some people refinance and then they pay for another 30 years. But uh, sometimes your mortgage can be resolved and paid off. Or the other word is conflict was resolved. We hear that probably most often. The word resolve, most of the time, is usually associated or used in the context of conflict. And when people say something was resolved, usually it was a dispute. Or attorneys use this word a lot, or a judge. They resolved the case or closed the case. Um, what the word resolve actually means just to reach a decision about. It means to determine something or, like I said, decision or to decide. That's the word. There's a noun and a verb, but the noun means to, to reach a decision, to come to an end. Now, when we talk about conflict, there's a number of places conflict takes place. And, um, and some places it takes place are in families. Which is never a fun thing if you have conflict in your family currently. It's never a good thing to be at conflict with your mother or your dad. Um, and most of the time there is what's called unresolved conflict or unresolved matters. Um, I thank the Lord in our family we don't have unresolved conflict. But I know other families there's places where people have never talked for, to each other for ten years. And then a tragedy comes and everybody's got to make up. And tragedies bring people closer together. And they put aside their foolishness and they re- they make they resolve the conflict. Has anybody ever known an experience like that? Something like that? Yeah? Roommates. If you've ever had the pleasure of having a roommate, everybody giggles. And I know some of you, well, and some of you I've lived with. Um, <laughs> some of you live with me. Um, there could be... Resolve, unresolved conflict with roommates, um, which is always a pleasure. You know, you have to have the big roommate meeting, and someone didn't do the dishes, and someone didn't take their laundry out of the dish or dishwasher, <laughs> which has happened. Someone has to take their laundry out of the washer, um, or in the case of the one man that Glenn lived with, take his his socks out of the microwave. <laughs> so, true story, isn't it, Glenn? True story. 
Um, it wasn't me. I live with Glenn, but it was not me. Um, sometimes there's unresolved conflict at work. Now, that's a tough one. The boss and you are at odds, or the foreman and you are at odds, or you and your coworker had a dispute. That happens. Probably one of the worst places to have conflict is in church. Uh, here's a place where people come and meet God, and great things happen for their lives. People are healed. We believe in divine healing, that God miracles like that take place. Uh, people's lives are changed. People that were once alcoholics are now made whole, and all of a sudden conflict arises in the church. And we don't like to talk about it, but it happens. Read the book of Corinthians. Sometimes conflict was there, and it had to be resolved. But what I really want to talk with you tonight about is inner conflict, the conflict that takes place in your heart that, as James talked about and we read, which is double-mindedness, where conflict sits in your heart and you have a hard time making a decision. I call that inner conflict. The one thing about conflict is it hinders progress. In fact, if you will, conflict retards growth, and both in the physical and in the mental. Um, if you have mental conflict, then your ability to grow mentally would be retarded, and people that we, we say are retarded have mental conflict or mental problems. And that's what conflict does. It can retard the growth of the church. If there's a conflict here amongst us, that we are at odds with one another, then the church won't grow. This is a growing church, so rest, rest, on, rest at ease. The church is growing. There's not conflict here, so I don't want people to feel that. Um, if there is marital conflict, it can retard the love that should be growing in that family every day between a mother and a father, between a mother and a daughter, the mother and a son, a dad and, their, and a daughter, and that is the type of thing that can actually lead into your life as you get older and make you, I don't want to say retarded, but not mentally, but in your personality. And you, you laugh, but a lot of us are, for lack of a better word, retarded in some area of our personality because of something that was not correct in growing up. Now, the, the interesting thing is that when you come into the family of God, when there is no conflict. And therefore, you can be made whole and be put back together again. Because the Bible says that God came to heal the brokenhearted. So, and that's why we're all here. But the one thing that inner conflict does, or the conflict of the soul does, it retards your spiritual growth. And you can come into a church like this. You can find the grace of God that you've sought all your life. You can respond to the very voice of God that has called and spoken to you since you were in the womb of your mother. The Bible says that, that God put us together with his very hands while we were in the womb of our mothers. And that voice of God still, and God gave you a soul which made you a living soul. And you can respond to that voice of God and find the grace of God. But I'm going to come down. All they, says, all they said is I had to pick this up and it would work. It does. So, But I want to ask you a question. What are some of the causes of the conflict that takes place in the heart of Christians and sinners? And I want the audience here to respond. So raise your hand if you think that you 
might know something that causes conflict in the life of a Christian or a sinner who is in their conscience. Raise your hand if you, anybody has an idea. Sister Moore? Unforgiveness. Very good. But frustration with the lost people in your family. Brother Hawk? Resentments. Very good. Lack of prayer. That can cause conflict. Anybody else have something? Broken relationships. That's a very good one. Very, very good. Anybody else? Brother Beheimer? A love of the world. Good one. Brother Kelly? Rejection. Carnal-mindedness. Brother Sandin? Disobedient to God's word. Sister Graper? Lack of church attendance. Good one. Anybody else have one? Lack of knowledge and wisdom of the Word of God. Good. Anybody else have one? Way in the back. Fear. Fear is an interesting one. The Bible says the love of God is not perfected in fear. And then, and I had some things down here. Um, peer pressure can cause conflict in your soul. Someone mentioned the world, the world we live in. Lack of direction. Someone mentioned lack of knowledge. But if you have no direction in your life, that's quite a bit of conflict. You don't really know what tomorrow holds. You don't really know where you're going to go. If you don't, a lot of people think about Christmas is coming. I can't remember the song. Christmas is coming. The goose is fat. (laughs) But anyways, Christmas is coming. Thanksgiving is coming. And one of the interesting things about holidays, which are supposed to be one of the most joyous times, they can be some of the most depressing times. Why? Because something in somebody's life, maybe they have nobody to go to Thanksgiving with. And they sit at home, and there's conflict in their soul. And that can happen. But one of the things that I want to talk about is lack of spiritual resolve, or lack of coming to a conclusion or determination in your mind that you're going to live for God. And that no matter what happens... God's going to get me through it. And sometimes you can have a lack of spiritual resolve because you have a lack of faith. Or someone mentioned lack of church attendance or lack of church or lack of commitment in general. Uh, someone mentioned a lack of knowledge. You know, the Bible says that my people perish for a lack of knowledge, for a lack of the Word of God. This is a question. I'll ask you a lot of questions tonight just to get you thinking. And questions are good because they cause us to think for answers or seek answers. And answers can bring peace and they can bring resolution to conflict. Now, this is a question. Do you think that God is concerned with whether or not you are fully committed to serving Him? Do you think that the one thing that concerns God is whether or not after you received the grace of God and God cleansed your life, washed the slate clean by his blood, and then in the waters of baptism, cleansed your mind and your heart. And, got, and the Bible says that, that baptism is a covenant with God, much like a marriage covenant, that where God gave himself to you and you gave yourself to God and you made a covenant or agreement there in the waters of baptism because the Bible says that baptism is like circumcision, which was an everlasting covenant. And the mode of the covenant has just changed and as a new believer, when you're baptized, 
you make an agreement with God. And you say, God, I'll serve you. And God in turn says, I'll serve you too. That I'll bless you. And the Bible's full of those examples of when covenants are made. And God always lives up to his end of the covenant. Problem is, we don't always live up to our end. So I do... Now here's some questions. For, some more questions for you. If you had enough spiritual resolve in your life, or maybe if you had a lack thereof of spiritual resolve, would you forsake God if one of the following happened to you within the next, let's say, week or month or even next year? If your spouse quit living for God, would you forsake God? What if your little daughter in the next year would die of cancer within the next year and you'd lose your only daughter? Some of you don't have kids, but let's say those of you that do. Would you forsake God? Would you quit living for God? What if one of your parents dies lost within the next year? Will you quit living for God? What if, and you know, these are just hypothetical, but let's say Pastor Grant, for some reason, has to leave our church. And I'm not saying that there's even, this is not a rumor, there's not a hint of that. I don't, this is just an example. And someone else had to become our new pastor. Could be him. <laughs> but let's say that happens. Is Pastor Grant why you're coming to Calvary Gospel Church? Or is Jesus Christ? Now, Pastor Grant is a tremendous pastor. And in my opinion, the best in the nation, if not the world. But if Brother Grant were to die, to be called to greater service elsewhere by God, would some of you leave? Because the next man of God isn't of the maybe the same, in your mind anyways, caliber as Brother Grant. Would that be enough to say, well, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to live for God. What if someone in the church just takes advantage of you? Maybe, you know, you lend them money and they don't pay you back. And then they don't really feel bad about it. You know, they just don't even feel any remorse for doing wrong. And they've got your money, and which well, it's really God's money, but anyways, you think it's your money. And they got your money, and you say, man, they don't even feel bad about it. In fact, they avoid me in church. You know, there's some people that have gotten a root of bitterness and leave the church. What if you become sick with a terminal disease, and God doesn't, for whatever reason, doesn't heal you? During that sickness, are you going to forsake God? What if you lose all your earthly possessions, everything you worked so hard for 40 years, you worked for Waltech? <laughs> he doesn't know Waltech anymore. <laughs> You're a good sport. You're a good sport. But let's say you worked for whatever, whoever, Findorf, for some big company, WPS or whatever, and you lost your pension, you lost your home, and you had to go get a new job, and everything you had was gone, would you curse God about it and forsake Him? Well, the point is, 
And you know, you know, I, I, when I wrote these questions, I didn't have anybody in mind. In fact, I really started writing them because what's been on my mind lately is how simple and how easy we have it in the U.S. to live for God. And these were the best situations that I could probably come up with that were, let's say, plausible to happen to, to somebody or one of us in the next year. Because we're not yet in danger of being thrown in prison and tortured for our faith, um, which, believe it or not, happens in other countries to our brothers and sisters. So these are just things I thought of. I said, well, what if this happened to Blake George, that my, my parents died lost, or Pastor Grant would leave the church, or someone told me they'd pay me back and doesn't pay me back, or I become sick with a terminal disease, or I lose everything I have, which, once again, isn't really mine, it's God's. With Blake George, you say, well, you know, what, what's wrong with God? You know, what's, you know, why isn't he helping me out? What, what's wrong with him? But do you think, once again, that God is testing our commitment toward him? Let's go back to James, if you want. You can turn back. I always like when the speakers talk and turn back to where he or she read from. And, and let's turn back to the book of James, chapter 1. I pulled my bookmark out of there. All right. And take a look at that word where it says, verse 2, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers, which means many, temptations. Now, the word temptations there does not mean to be tempted with sin, you know, to do something wrong. It actually comes from a word called parazzo. And if you ever played the game called Parazzo, which means a test. When you fall into many tests, or the real word, actually the word there is, the root word is Parazzo, but the actual word is Parasimos, which means a putting to proof by experiment of good or evil experience. So, if we put it into the context, and I said to you tonight, my brethren and sisters, Count it all joy when you fall into many tests of God. That if you can count it joy when your spouse quits living for God. Can you still count it joy when you got a terminal disease? Is there still joy when you... And I'm not trying to say that when these situations come that you're not affected. Because to say that would be... Would, would not even be close to the truth that... Many of us would feel tremendous grief and remorse and pain. But in it, and somewhere in it, is your commitment to God strong enough that you'd find the joy of God in it? Or come to understand the purpose of God in it? But let me give you some, maybe some biblical examples of people whose resolve... For God was quite strong. Um, Abraham and Isaac, his only son, the promised son, the one that God had promised in the many, many late years of his life that he'd have, and the name means laughter, and was to bring laughter to their family. And yet God asks him to put this little child on a 
Um, of all places on an altar, we could use this to, to begin to prepare it with wood for burning the sacrifice, to bring a knife to kill his son with his own hands, and then to, after killing his own son, the promised son, that he was to burn that child and offer it to God. Now there has got to be some resolve. In fact, there was so much resolve in his heart about God that he believed God that God, even in the very ashes, would raise that child up again and live again, even from the very ashes, the Bible says. Now that is a lot of spiritual resolve. I always wonder, how did he get to that point with God? I mean, what was the first test? Was the first test that his neighbor stole his yak and didn't give it back? A little poem. <laughs> and, then his, and then maybe, who knows what happened next. Maybe his mother was an idol worshiper and she died. And he knew, even back then, they had an understanding of hell, that she wasn't going to be there in the resurrection. And then what happened next? You, to lead up to a situation like that, Brother Repka just had a young boy. And not to point you out, Brother Repka, but and many of other you've just had young kids. Do you think you could put your child on the altar if you knew God was asking you to do so? Is your resolve that strong towards God? I'm, I'm not saying I could. So don't look up here and say, oh, Blake, I'm just asking a question. Job, here's a man with resolve to lose everything, to lose his kids, his, all his finances, like I talked about in one of the questions, to all of a sudden be sick with probably, which was something, and that day was probably terminal. I'm sure there was no cure for it. It says he had uh, boils, and they were from head to toe. And then have your friends come and people begin to question your very life, your integrity. Because they did. They said, well, Job, if you were so upright, how come this is happening to you? And yet, in all that, and then his wife turned on him. And maybe that was what made him so tough, was all those years living with, the, with his wife. I don't know. <laughs> well, you know, she. I mean, she was not... She just told him to curse God and, you know, die. And I wonder, you know, how strong her resolve was. And maybe she was, and we all chuckle about that. And, but maybe she wasn't living for God. Maybe one time during Job's life she knew God and had this vibrant of a relationship with God. And she turned her back on God 20 years before this all happened. And Job kept living for God, kept offering sacrifices every morning for his kids. And said, I'm going to stick it out with God. Even if my wife doesn't want... Maybe his kids turned their back. You know, he was offering sacrifices for them. If you know, they would curse God in their heart, it says, or sin against God. But yet every morning he was at the altar, like some of you, praying for your kids. That's what Job was doing. And he maintained his resolve. And then he lost it all. And he's the one that said... You know, naked came I in this world, naked shall I go. And though he slay me, I will still serve him. Amen.
You know, then you have Samson and Delilah. And there's a failure of resolve. There's Samson, anointed of God, a judge at that time in the history of mankind. That that's what went on. That he was the judge, he was the leader of Israel at that time. He was the, the deliverer. The Bible says the Spirit of the Lord would come upon Samson and he'd go and do great exploits. And he was anointed of God. But somehow, somewhere, some way, he lost out with God and lost his resolve with God. And then in a moment of temptation with Delilah, he gave away his secret, or in essence, gave away his relationship with God. But let's talk about Moses, the son of Pharaoh's daughter. It says, in the Bible, it says, By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. For he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. Now there's a man with spiritual resolve. Maybe the next in line to be the Pharaoh of Egypt. Raised, and it says right there, it says, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. Maybe they were all his. Maybe he was the next King Tut. He'd be buried in a gold casophagus, which is a coffin. Casophagus, I always thought that word was funny, but to be buried in a gold coffin. And they have all the riches of heaven to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, yet esteeming the reproach of Christ greater. It says by faith, when he was come to years, which means when he became an adult, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. There is resolve to be in that level of position and then to take the lowly position of a Hebrew which was the lowest position in the at that time in Egypt because it was of greater riches. And then the verse that always gets me is, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. Now, what does that mean? I mean, it's a confusing verse. It kind of says all kind of neat things, respect, recompense. But what it really means, and I'll just put it in common vernacular, is, that he was willing to forsake everything else due to the payout of the final reward. The word, the word there, which means recompense of reward, means to pay you out, to get your check on Friday. How many, you know what to get your check on Friday means? You can relate to that. That's what it meant. That someday, sometime, somewhere, that he respected it. And with the word respect means he was willing to forsake it all. Because there was a payout coming his way. And you know, the point is there's a payout now in this life. And there's a payout then. And you know, the payouts that are available to you are quite incredible. And usually that's where people lose their resolve. Because they don't understand that tonight God can take everything in a moment and put it back together. They don't understand that the payouts that are available tonight in this altar, in this place, where God can heal, are for them. They don't understand that God's got a better job for them now and in this life. 
Jesus said he came to give you life. He came to give you life more abundantly in this life and the life to come. And that's what happens. People begin to lose their resolve. They begin to say, well, I'm not so determined anymore. And I'm not so committed anymore. Because God's just not doing or living up to his end of the bargain. Or all those things that Brother Grant preached, they're just not coming to pass for me. And little by little, grain by grain, the devil begins to sift your resolve. And what you used to once be determined you'd never do, you are now doing. And that's how it happens. And you begin to lose your resolve, begin to lose your commitment, and the devil is sifting you like sand. And pretty soon, there's a pile of sand sitting over there, and there's nothing sitting over here. And the devil's got it all. That's how it happens. You know, Paul had tremendous spiritual resolution in his life. He's the one that said, Lay aside every weight and sin that does so easily beset you, and let us run the ra- run with patience the race that is set before us, looking on to Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. Why do you say that? Lay, a wide every, lay aside every weight and sin. Because you know when I talked about peer pressure? There are people that you could be hanging out with that are causing you to lose your resolve. And they're just dead weight. Same people that talk to you, and you can end up back in the bar after service tonight. And why in the world do you want to hang around with them? Because what? The riches that God has for you aren't enough? Because that's a weight to your life. Some people, they won't cancel their subscription to, I don't want to meddle, but People Magazine. My mom gets that. And I think, what a godless magazine that is. But... I look at that, and there's more gossip in that thing than probably anybody should ever read. But I start to look at those kind of things, and I said, you know, why not cancel your subscription, you know? Or maybe you got a TV, and you got cable, and you got the HBO channel. You know, you, the Bible says not to set any evil thing before you. And I don't know what any of you, if you get magazines or what kind of shows you have, I'm just saying that there's things that will come into your life and they're going to rob you blind of something so incredible. Because when the winds begin to blow and you're double-minded in your ways, that man has no, God has no pleasure in that man. And you know, the sad thing is it's so easy in America. And that's what, when I was praying and crying over this message, I started thinking, you know, I said, God, what's the worst thing that could happen to us? We make minimum wage. We've got to eat, you know, tuna and crackers. I mean, what's the worst thing that could happen in America? And then when the slightest little thing happens in our lives, are we not strong enough to live up to these things? Do we have enough resolve? Do I have enough resolve, God, that if my mom should die lost, Am I going to throw in the chips and the towel and say it's over? Is, is, is my life being sifted? Are the things that I'm just watching going through my mind and through
And every day, another piece of sand is sifted out of Blake George's life. And then when the winds of trouble, they come to every person. You know, the troubles that come to us are not unique. And they come to me, and they come to Blake George, and they, they come to Roost Home. And am I going to stand up? Could I stand up like Moses did in the case of Isaac? Or am I so sifted right now because I live in a godless country and I've allowed those kind of things to influence me and touch me and begin to work at me that I couldn't even do something, stand up for something for you, God? And then Paul wrote, This one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press towards the mark or the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Every time he wrote, when he wrote, lay down weights and sins. Press towards the mark. What was he trying to say? In his day and age, it was the same way. That there are weights and there was sins then. And there was people that were falling off the mark. That quit running. That were getting tired. And they were saying, Paul, I can't press anymore towards the mark. I can't make it to the mark. Because I'm tired, Paul. And I want to give in. And I really like to give in because it's constant pressure on my soul. And the weights really have me. And I'm uncomfortable, Paul. And I can't make it to Jesus. But Paul was telling him, reach forth onto those things that are before. Just like Moses, reach forward to the recompense of Christ. Because there is a payout. There is a payout that's for you tonight. And then he says, let it. Let us, therefore, as many be perfect, be thus minded. And if anything, if any, if anyone or anything you be otherwise minded, God shall reveal this unto you. What he was saying is, those of us that are pushing to the mark, those of us that have said we're going to cast away every weight and sin, let us keep that mind, because that very mindset is what's making us perfect. Not perfect that we've never made fault. But that's what's going to get us into heaven, is that mindset, that resolve that says, no matter what, I'm going to keep pushing to the mark. But he said, if, if any one of you be otherwise minded, God's going to reveal it unto you. Why? Because he loves you. And even tonight, if something I said begins, maybe made you feel uncomfortable, and you're, I've sat in those seats and I've been uncomfortable many, many times. So don't feel like I'm putting you on the hot seat or something. But the reason I feel uncomfortable is because God is telling me, Blake, you're being sifted. Blake, there's something picking away at your soul. And there's a little emptiness in it. And, and there's a little alcohol being applied to the wound. And it hurts. But that's God saying to me, come on, be the right mind. Be thus minded. Be perfect in your mind, Blake. Be committed in your mind, Blake. When you lack spiritual res resolution, you're going to settle for something far, far less than God had planned for your life. You know, Samson is an example. The plans that God had for his life was not to finally be behind a millstone with eyes plucked out and a mock, a mockery of the enemy of Israel. That was not God's plan. But Samson, lacking spiritual resolve, that's where he ended up. Now God gave him one more 
granted him one more time. If I could do one more thing for you, God, give me my strength back one more time. And he died, someone in faith, doing something great for God. But that was not God's plan. And there are people that have fallen into sin and who have been saved and have backslidden. They get to come back. They get to do something great for God. But it's never the same as probably what it could have been. David's life was not probably what it could have been when he sinned with Bathsheba. But, and nor was Samson's. Esau. If you want to turn to Hebrews 12, um, I don't even know the verse, but I've got it written down here. And You know, I read out of Hebrews 12 where I read verse 1, lay aside every weight and sin that does so easily beset you and let us run with patience a race that is set before us looking on to Jesus, the author and finisher of faith. In the same trap chapter is Esau. Why? Because he didn't run the race. Why? Because he didn't lay down the weights and the sin. It says there that he is an example. Then when he would have in, when he when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected and he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. Some people say that he never repented. I say that he found repentance, that he cried on his brother's shoulder, that he said, God has blessed me, and I have physically speaking, as many blessings as you have. But one thing he lacked was the birthright, was the blessing. It says there, and I believe what that is saying, and this is just my interpretation of it. It says that when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected because he sold it. Though he found, for he found no place of repentance, which means in that instance he could not the word repentance means turn around. He could not turn around and go back and say, hand me the birthright back. Give it back to me because I'm the rightful heir of it. He couldn't get it back. He forsook what God had for him, sold it for just a bowl of meat and lentils. Why? Because his, his, his resolve for God was no greater than his stomach was no greater than one meal. And some people, the resolve for God is no greater than one night they'll be in the bar and they'll just fall apart for God and start drinking. And I'm not making fun of people because I was an alcoholic and I drank. And some people, the, well, the point is what I'm getting at is the devil has eaten at the resolve for so long and so hard. It's not just the one drink that's put in front of them that gets them. It's all the weights and sins. It's all the times. It's all the situations. It's all the things that came to them again and again and again and again. And then finally the devil got them in the bar and they drank. People don't fall away from one temptation. As the Bible says, the devil is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may destroy. He was watching Job. He knew Job. And he was always there walking around that fence that God set up for Job. What's he doing over there? And he had a hedge around him, and the devil probably walked around that hedge a lot. He kept looking at Job, waiting for one moment to, that he can keep getting in there and grab a little bit of this. And when the hedge came down and the diseases came, and he was in, the devil was right there, constantly working at Job's resolve. His friends came and talked to him and worked at his resolve. 
his wife came and talked to him. And again and again and again and again and again, they kept working at Job. And the devil was behind it all the time. And Job, the, the story of Job is that, of course, he did not give in. Let's turn to Psalms 16, 5 through 11. I got five minutes. This is David writing, and David says, The Lord is the portion of mine inheritance and of my cup. Thou maintainest my lot. The lines are fallen unto me in pleasant places, yea, I have a goodly heritage. I will bless the Lord who hath given me counsel. My reins also instruct me in the night seasons. I have set the Lord always before me, because he is my right hand. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore my heart is glad, and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in hope. For though wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou wilt show me the path of life, and in thy presence is fullness of joy. And at the right hand there are pleasures forevermore. When, when David said, the Lord is my portion of mine inheritance and my cup, and thou maintainest my lot, what he was saying is, God, whatever happens, you are sufficient. You are my portion. This is it. Everything else added to this is just extra. And that's what I'm getting at tonight. That when you made the Lord your inheritance, and you gave your life to him, and you were baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and all your sins were washed away, and you received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, the Lord became your portion. And that was it. Because if the only way that could have happened is if you took everything else and laid it at the altar and said, I don't want it anymore. One thing I want, and that's you. And that's what you got. You got God, and you got the fullness of God. And there are people tonight, if they could understand this, and they really knew what was available to them from God, they'd give millions for it. They'd give parts of their body, their arm. People say, I'd give my right arm if I could find happiness. If I could find what really is the meaning of life, the Bible calls it the pearl of great price, that when a man found a pearl, a, a great pearl, he sold everything he had and bought that one pearl because it was worth it. A man walking in a field found a treasure and sold everything he had and bought that field because in that field was one treasure. And the only way... That you can get God and get the fullness of God is when you say, God, everything is yours, including my soul. And you are my portion. You will be sufficient. You are my inheritance, and you establish my lot. What that means is that from this day forward, lot just means whatever happens, whatever comes my way, whatever is my plight in life, my lot, you are sufficient. And that's what that meant. And David went on to say that I've, all the things he said there, that the great things about his life and that the Lord directs his path and all those things was because he said, yeah, God, whatever else happens, you're going to be there to direct it. And that's what spiritual resolve means. It means to get to the point where you say, God, anything can go. 
my health can go, if my parents have to go, if my child goes, you still are my portion and you still are my inheritance. You know, there comes a, and I say this, you can get to a point in God with many things and look back and it doesn't mean anything to you anymore. Tithing. You can get to a point where God, where you can say, it's so little to give 10%. The 10% is such a minute little amount that God requests of me when your resolve is right. Why? Because 100% of it's God, and he could ask for all of it any time. And the fact that he only wants 10%, man, that's a little bit. But when your resolve's wrong, and I'll say this to you, I'll say it very clearly, when your resolve's wrong, Every time you write that check, you'll think about that 10%. Why? Because you think the 90% is yours, and you are gravely wrong. Because everything is his. Your soul, your life, and when you give it all. The interesting thing is he gives it all back. And the 90% goes further. Some of you could be making 450 an hour, and you'll quabble over 45 cents when God could quadruple your income. And you could be making sixteen dollars, and you could you could easily just give the four fifty, and still have twelve fifty sitting over left over. That can happen. But people, I know people that quabble over. Trust me, if you give it everything to God, you're going to look at back what you're going to say. God requires so little of me, and blesses me so much. But you'll never say that unless your resolve is right with God. Peer pressure. You don't have to be under peer pressure. If you're in this church, there's not a person here that will ever pressure you to do anything but serve God. The, I have friends in this church. Glenn Uselman is a great friend of mine, and he's never, ever pressured me to do anything but serve God with all my heart. Tim Gullup is a good friend of mine. Many of you, Jay Antonick, Chris Zimmerman, all of you I consider good friends, and I don't ever feel pressured to do anything but serve God, to come and experience this great blessing that God has for me, I don't have to worry about somebody telling me to smoke a joint, to drink a beer, to have sex when I don't want to. I don't have any of that. And you live here long enough, and you will never have peer pressure in your life. Condemnation. There's such a cleansing in the blood of Jesus Christ. People live under condemnation every day of their life. And if you get resolved in your heart tonight, the blood of Jesus Christ can touch you and all the condemnation of 20 years, 40 years, However long you've been living under that condemnation can be gone like that in the name of Jesus. Let's praise him. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Jesus, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. Holiness. Brother Grant said, we talk about a Holy Ghost. We're going to go to a holy city, and nobody wants to live holy. When you make up in your mind you're going to live for God, holiness is not an issue. Not an issue. You, you mean, the question is, you mean I don't have to spend two hours in front of the mirror anymore? No, not that you're going to look unsightly. Not that you do. But the point is, I was just talking to somebody, and you do think that women are vain. Guys are very vain. And I would say this. Someone was just telling me the other day they were in Florida with a bunch of guys, and these are older guys. And the one guy who's a friend of mine says, I combed my hair, and I walked out and put a baseball cap out, and I went to breakfast. And the other guys are in there blow-drying their hair. For two hours. He's already ate breakfast, read the paper, came back up to the room, and they're still combing their hair. 
they you know they probably lost it or you know but anyways the point being is that with holiness living for god and being holy is a privilege and you'll count it a privilege when you resolve what god is right but if you're not resolved in your heart to serve god it'll be a constant conflict the rest of your life because you'll think god is demanding this of me brother grant is demanding this of me and that's really not the case really not the case let me tell you something about the agenda of the cross the agenda of jesus christ is a very strange agenda to be god and to come in the form of a man to walk on this earth and be subject to punishment by his very creation so that he can give his own blood because there's no atoning of sin without the blood of cross without the blood of either a human or an animal but to give his own blood as atonement to die on a cross to suffer the bible says by his stripes we are made whole to be resurrected to ascend into heaven and then the bible says because he ascended he pours out blessings every day tell me where the agenda in that is to your detriment that agenda was to do nothing but take you and to take himself and bring the two of you together like this and his agenda never changes from the time that you were born again to the time that you begin to walk holy the time that you begin to tithe the time that you begin to do whatever else the bible tells you the agendas never change the agenda is only for your benefit it's not for my benefit it's not for brother grant's benefit it's not for the benefit of calvary gospel church so that we can big, build a big edifice and put a big ad in the paper the point is the agenda of the cross was only to benefit you that was the agenda of god praise the lord let's stand hallelujah lord let me read one last scripture hallelujah lord joshua when he's ready to go home to the lord when he's ready to die he stood before the nation of israel and began to recant the blessings that god had promised which was for their benefit not for joshua's benefit not for the benefit of the president of israel or whatever else may have been or anybody's benefit just for the benefit of the people of Israel. And as he got to the end, he said, "Well, if it seems evil unto you to serve the Lord, what a question. And that's my question tonight. If it seems so bad to serve God when he's got so many blessings." He said, "If it seems so evil to you to serve the Lord after reciting all the benefits, choose you this day who you will serve." Whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me, and what Joshua was saying, as for me, I like the benefit package. I like all the blessings. I like the fact that right now in this life, God's going to bless me. And I really like the fact that the fact that I'm dying and I'm going to meet him, there's a whole lot of benefits on the other side. So he said, if you all choose not to serve God... As for me, in my house, praise the Lord, we're going to serve the Lord. 
And they said, and the people answered and said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God, he is that brought us out of, up and our fathers out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, which did those great signs in our sight, preserved us in the way that we went among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the people. Going down to verse 9, And Joshua said unto the people, You cannot serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve strange God. And the people said to Joshua, Nay, but we will serve the Lord. And the point was, they understood too. Joshua said, if you just cast aside all those gods and all those things that aren't gods and all those idols, the benefit package is yours. And that's my point tonight. If Brother Grant leaves here, if my parents choose not to serve God, if I get sick... If I would have children and one should die, as for me, the benefits are still there. And the Lord is still my portion. Hallelujah, Lord. Let's lift our hands and let's begin to praise him. Hallelujah, Jesus, Lord. Oh, Lord, you are so wonderful to us, Lord. And you are the one and only God, Lord Jesus, Lord. Oh, Lord. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord. Lord. Keep your hands lifted to Him. Hallelujah, Lord. Let's begin to feel after Him. And you'll feel Him. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Jesus. You are wonderful, Lord. And you are good to us, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I think God has spoken to us through Brother Blake George. Praise God. Let's just bow our heads right now and let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we just ask that you move through this entire congregation. I'm believing, Lord, that you're speaking to individuals here, Lord Jesus Christ, that are making that decision tonight to resolve to serve you with their whole heart, Lord. And I'm asking God that you would anoint them, that they would feel the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. I believe that there's someone here tonight that would like to give their heart to God for the very first time. Praise God. Who would like to be the very first to come down and surrender unto Jesus Christ? I can attest to this, that you'll never, ever, ever regret turning your life over to the almighty God praise God praise God do much 